0: Welcome to the Oh For Food Sake podcast, where we unwrap the struggles of working in the food industry so that you can thrive in what you do best while sustaining a rewarding and fulfilling career or business. We are your hosts, Lucy Wager, food industry consultant and Amy Wilkinson, coach
1: and facilitator, bringing you our expertise of starting a food brand and working in the food industry for the last 20 years. Our podcast is for you to find new ways to cope with the daily struggles, but mostly to inspire you to work on what's not working to ultimately improve your career or business long-term.
0: So hello and welcome to today's podcast. Today we are meeting with serial entrepreneur, Justin Gilchrist. I'm actually working with Justin at the moment on his latest venture, Wellbox. And I thought, Amy and I were talking about who we'd like to have on as a guest, and I said, I really think. It would be great to get Justin on because I'm really enjoying the project that I'm working on with him. And it's a brilliant story of how the business came to be set up, but he's also got a really interesting background and entrepreneurialism. So yeah, we invited him on and thankfully he said yes, he'd like to come in. So this is the first time that Amy's actually met Justin as well. Yeah. Hi, Justin. Nice to meet you.
1: Hi, Amy. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. So um it's really great to meet you and Lucy introduces me to great people all the time which is amazing but I'd really like to understand a little bit about kind of your background just tell us about yourself I mean you know like a not you don't don't need to tell me which school you went to but you know (laughs) just just tell us a bit about who you Uh, are um, and what you do.
2: No. um So, firstly, I think it's difficult to describe someone as a serial entrepreneur on a food podcast because I think maybe people will get the wrong idea. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah
0: that's true. 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 We <laughs> love a food pun on here.
2: Serial with an S, serial not with. I actually hate the term serial entrepreneur because I think it implies sort of um, someone that doesn't really stick at things for very long and mm. to a new venture. Good point. Um, which which I wouldn't say to myself I am a a long-suffering entrepreneur (laughs) probably the the best description so I'll always tend to have one kind of main business that I have long term and I think maybe it's um, it's boredom or it's stress relief in some ways but I tend to often have a a side project um, that will often turn into a a genuine legitimate business somewhere along the way so I always used to joke that some men have sheds um, I have projects and I think it's It's kind of just how you wired and and what you're into. But no, firstly, thank you for for having me on. I started a a long, long time ago with um, mostly sort of application development. Application development turned into design and print. But I think like everybody else, I realized that I had a love of food. And if I could combine that love of food with my love of business, then I have the, the ideal business. So skipping a lot of bits in between, acquired a corporate hospitality company that was originally in retail. And this is going back to 2007. It just so happened that I knew nothing about retail and we were absolutely dreadful at retail. (laughs) Then the financial crisis hit and compounded what was already a bad situation. But the one thing that we were really good at was pivoting and trying new things, trying new ideas and seeing what worked. So the idea for South, um, South Catering came out of that originally where we wanted to supply food but to a b2b market because b2b is what i knew and b2b is what we were good at we're good at the customer relationship side of things and we were very good at the customer acquisition side of things even before the internet wasn't kind of what it is now and south as a a corporate hospitality company we started really small but we grew um i wouldn't say rapidly at the start we made a lot of mistakes like everybody does at the start and we We grew slowly, we ran out of money frequently because we were always underfunded, Um, but once we found our feet and got going, we we sort of quickly forged ahead. We became one of the largest privately held corporate hospitality companies in the Northwest. And I believe we were until around March, 2020, Um, (laughs) That changed everybody's uh, landscape and changed everybody's plans. So after uh, a few months of failed pivots, I think there were three failed pivots in there, which are humorous stories in themselves. We stumbled across I have to ask you about those then.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because we like
2: hearing about Um, failures as well. (laughs) I could do a whole podcast on failures, (laughs) everything from hiring through to marketing. We could have a different one just for, we've made that many mistakes. (laughs) Um, We eventually stumbled on Wellbox simply because one of the messages that tended to resonate more from when we're speaking to our clients were that they had loads of people that were at home these people were now out of their normal routine a lot of these people lived alone and they were isolated and they were missing that sort of connection that you have when you're in the office and you you just vibe with the people that you you like and you see every day and you work with and they really wanted to send something to these people to let them know that they were still thinking of them and that they appreciated all the hard work that they were putting in Um, We thought it was an amazing idea to do something like that. We also had the joint problem at the time that a lot of the charity partners who we would have donated food to previously. Well, firstly, we had no food to donate because Mm -hmm. we weren't doing much by way of corporate catering. But also they were really struggling because a lot of the companies that they worked with that did sort of corporate fundraisers, that did um, community action days, because there was no more in person they were unable to, to keep doing those things. So a lot of the donations dried up. And then just to make matters worse, a lot of the places that housed or fed people now had social distancing measures enforced on them. So they're only able to accommodate half the amount of people there previously were. So I think we we kind of had this solution that solved two problems at the same time. We could help our, well, three, we could help our clients help their staff and their employees and remind them that they, they still cared we could help ourselves in terms of the business and give us an additional revenue stream at a time we needed it. But most importantly for us, we could sort of keep that money flowing for our charity partners and, help them keep doing the good work that they were doing across, um, well, Manchester and multiple other places around the country. And that's kind of how Wellbox was born and how it came about.
0: That's brilliant. I love, like when you first told me the story, it was so, it like gave me goosebumps, the fact that you solved all those problems in one. It's like a real, you know, COVID lockdown success story that sort of helped in so many ways. Was this the first venture where you really combined your sort of, your tech background and food together so nicely?
2: Not necessarily. I mean, if I define nicely, I think. <laughs>
0: well, together. in such a nice package, yeah, literally in a package.
2: In a package. clumsy way in, in, in the past. I mean, the, the part that I always be, I've always been the sort of technology person in the companies that I've been part of, regardless of what the company is. And I feel one of the reasons why we grew as a corporate hospitality company is simply because we had that handle on technology. So I think technology comes in Parts one, it comes in sort of operational systems in terms of the business. So, how you're taking in data, how you're managing the products that you're creating, how you're managing the stuff you're producing, but also technology in the marketing sense, which is where I feel like a lot of manufacturing and food companies fall short.
0: Definitely,
1: yeah, it's that that's really interesting because obviously our backgrounds are very much in like food manufacturers and, and that sort of thing, and just thinking about. Our listeners, uh, you know what you're talking about is you were able because of technology you're able to capture that data about what you know what's selling what's what's the right thing you know in a much more tangible way than a, a, another contract hater might be able to, but also using digital marketing as well to to target the right customers in the right way. So
2: yeah, that's. I mean, there is a big element of right place, right time in there as well. I, I think the. Have we had done this a year earlier, you know, we would have been successful with it because it's the way the world's moving, but we just happened to have this huge bump that enabled us to get to seven figures within sort of two to three months of launching, which I don't think would have been possible a year earlier. But it's still a trend. There are more people working remotely. There are more people working from home. And this has really just accelerated that trend and showed employers that it's possible. So I think part of it's right place, right time. But the other part is definitely leveraging technology.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is incredible growth. So I guess because you already had the facility in terms of the space, was that a help in, in order to have that amount of growth so quickly? Because a lot of businesses, especially in food, it's quite difficult to grow quickly quickly. For lots of reasons but one reason i see quite a lot of is somebody setting themselves up in a unit you get to a point where you're sort of bursting at the seams and then it takes time but you've done this so quickly so what were the what were your biggest challenges and what were you grateful for what what did you have because you had south that kind of was a problem that you turned into into a solution basically was it space? Like I might the thing that I keep thinking is you must have needed space <laughs> to be able to, to turn this on so quickly.
2: Well, ironically, I mean I find that with most startups, actually that the starting up is easy. And I think a lot of people use lack of resources or lack of facilities as a, an excuse or a crotch not to do the things that they should be doing. The difficult part is scaling. And I think having the resource that we had made scaling easier and we had to scale like really, really quick. And it would have been difficult, not impossible, but difficult to do it without that. But I actually started um, unknown to the very first clients, but this was actually operating out of my garage simply because mm. we, were, we were all working remotely and sort of no staff were, were there. Everybody was yeah. furloughed for a while. So when we, we started iterating on different ideas, it was always a case of right if we can't get this out in a week and test the concept within a week then we can't do it because we can't afford to spend money I don't have resource by way yeah. of staff um, so it really was just myself and my other half obviously <laughs> chipped in and yeah. helped out yeah but it was um a few weeks of long nights in the garage we turned the garage into a, a, a mini stock room um, which my kids were absolutely <laughs> delighted by like they- that yeah <laughs> These snack like box.
1: a little yeah like a yeah, little yeah. sweet literally shop literally
2: a in sweet the shop. yeah so I mean racked everything out one night and ordered stock um the next day that the first run you know the, the very first order was actually fulfilled from a supermarket um because it was all about just testing the concept so we probably yeah. lost massively paying two pound a snack bar for uh, <laughs> so, yeah, for um a bunch of boxes but it really was just about testing the concept and seeing actually if there was any demand before we went ahead and forced supply relationships and got stock in. But I think once we hit the point where it was like, right, I'm quite literally spending hours every evening fulfilling orders here, um, it's time to move it out. That's when South came in useful
0: yeah. because we're
2: able to bring back one or two staff off furlough. Um, yeah, have this as a, originally just a kind of small operation, but with a lot of space and a lot of facility and people that we really trusted to be able to, to do the job.
0: That is That must have been really nice as well, because it's having that confidence to employ other people and having that trust is so important, isn't it? And so you, so you could, you know, hit the ground running, I guess, because you knew the people, they knew you. It's just a sort of a, a different offering, I guess.
2: Absolutely. I think most people hire too late in that regard as well. And I think especially when you're you're starting up and money's scarce on the ground, the misconception is that you've kind of got to save the pennies. And you have, you've got a certain amount of runway, you haven't got much coming in. But then you get people who get locked in this cycle of spending so much time actually fulfilling orders or so much absolutely working in the business itself that that there's this whole business they've still got to build. You know, right now they're just fulfilling orders. Um, So without taking that leap and at least hiring someone part-time they're never able to free themselves up to create the systems or the processes that actually take less human time and human interaction in the long term, and will save everybody time and money. So things.
0: true, Justin, yeah. and that is a massive problem that I had <laughs> in yeah. my business because I'm a complete control freak, and I just and we're actually going to do a, a, um, an episode on. Delegating, and because, and I just laugh every time Amy brings this up because I, I'm like the world's worst person. And I'm like, Which is I'll why I'll just teach you in the episode. Yeah. Which <laughs> is <laughs> why I love what I do now because I do I focus on the bit that I really enjoy and I'm good at, and I, you know, I just get on and do it. That's what mm. I like doing.
2: <laughs> what would be really cool for that episode if you both hired two like interns and got them to do the episode and you just delegated. <gasps> to Oh of,
0: my God, this is like, I'm, 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 is I'm shaking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, brilliant. So Justin, there's two main things that I heard you saying there about, because we'll come on to kind of the tips that you would give to founders and, and people starting out in food. But there was kind of two things that really resonated for me, which was just get on with it. <laughs> really, like, the, I think you used the word, people use it as an excuse and I think you do see that quite a bit where it's like well I just need this in place and I just need that in place but it sounds like it was really you know it's just about getting started and testing the water before you even you know and and knowing that that's going to involve not making much money because you're buying it from the supermarket but you you know all of that sort of thing and then it's like quickly as soon as you recognize yep this is a winner. That's when you need to get help and you need to scale and you need to make it bigger.
2: Absolutely. So not to get too sort of management jargon speaky, but we always kind of analyze things in terms of four different types of risks. So you've got your product risk, your market risk, your technology risk, and your financial risk. Your financial risk really is like, do we have enough money to do this? And if you're starting small and you're just testing a concept often the answer is yes. With food development, it's more difficult because obviously you've got minimum manufacturing runs and you've got packaging mm-hmm. to consider and then distribution and supply chain, but it's kind of figuring out what's the minimal amount that we need to kind of get going and can we actually do that? You've then got your technology risk, which for a food company is more about the, the products. Um, if you want to create a zero calorie, zero sugar the chocolate covered wonder sweet then you're probably going to struggle because the technology doesn't exist but more often than not you've come up with the idea because you know the things possible or maybe you've created it in your kitchen at home so the technology risk isn't so severe with food companies so your other two risks there are really your your market risk i'd say is your main risk Um, and it's will people buy it if we we put it out Um, will people buy it at a price that makes sense for the business where we can make a profit and I think a lot of people obsess on things that aren't necessarily important at that stage without really answering that one which is the big one and that really is about how do I find people that are willing to pay for this how do I make that a repeatable process and will they pay the amount I'm asking which hopefully will be enough to to cover all your costs and, and help you make a profit. So the quicker you can figure that one out at the start, it means you can then go back and figure all the other things out later. Um, but that's really the big one where I, th- I find it's a bit of a stumbling block for most people.
0: It's really interesting looking. I mean, it's it's kind of obvious, isn't it? But I think you're right that people do worry about the other bits, which distracts you from actually that really important bit, which is where are those people? Are they going to buy it? For sure. And can they buy it a lot?
2: The first version of and one of the problems that I'm, and I think this is partly a personal thing, but one of the problems I'm aware of as a, a developer, as a technology person, I tend to overspec technology at the start. Whereas I think most people, their biggest fear, their biggest I'll oh, do it when I get X is often centered around technology. So I speak to a lot of people, people are sort of entrepreneurs who I speak to are going through the journey. We'll often talk about not having enough money to put together a website. So yeah, I'll I'll do it once I can afford to pay a web developer, or, you know, we need someone to build an app that will do X. Whereas I think when you're a technology person, you have the opposite problem where you'll jump in and you'll spend months and months developing the most elaborate technological solution when actually you don't know if anyone's going to buy the damn thing. So it's pointless. So I think for Wellbox, definitely learning from mistakes. The the first version was quite literally a page, one page on the South Catering website, um, with buttons that just led to a, a call us or you know click here and we'll give you a call back. And the photos were all done in my conservatory with a, a camera phone and a a MacBook Pro box mocked, mocked up in Photoshop to look like the actual. <laughs> I think that photo still exists. Thinking about it. Um, <laughs> But it really is just going for the the minimal amount of sort of setup that you need to get something that's credible, but ultimately something that can give you feedback as to whether or not people want to pay for this.
0: And how do you find working in the food industry? So having been in different industries, this is something that me and Amy talk about a lot because our our entire experience is in the food industry. And I'm always really interested to speak to people who have had other lives outside of food <laughs> and what you know what your opinion is and how how it differs what things are the same what is completely different
2: i find foods amazing for two reasons one because i love the products i mean anything where you get to sample stuff is my ideal day spent and i find that food is something where the customers tend to be emotional and passionate about your product like no one ever got passionate about hr software mm-hmm. Unless you're in, <laughs> no offense to HR managers. HR there will be
1: HR managers listening. But yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: so I think maybe I'll find a better example. Like no one ever got passionate about steel fabrication or, yeah. or sort of a rivet or a desk phone. But people do get passionate about food. So, you know, you're selling something that people genuinely love. Yeah. They really hate it, but at least they're going to be polarized by it. On the other side, I find the food industry to be behind when it comes to technology. I think that's changing now. We're seeing a lot of investment, especially in the U.S., towards kind of plant-based alternatives. Yeah. And these are companies that are now being treated like tech companies, so they'll often have a lot of money spent in them and they're forced to innovate. But I think when we're talking about just day-to-day standard consumer products in the UK, people don't have that same forward-thinking mentality or that same grip of technology. I think a lot of people assume that they're going to treat their small product in the same way that the large multiples treat their products. But they're trying to do it on a fraction of the budget. Mm -hmm. So you know, billboard advertising, newspaper advertising works great when you're Procter & Gamble, but when you're hustling with two, three grand in the bank account, you're going to have to look at things like, can I come up with a clever way to get people to a site so I can set a retargeting pixel and then use that just to keep showing them ads to build up brand awareness without it yeah. costing me anything. For example, can you use video? Can you use social to your advantage? But it, it really is just trying to find that creativity. And I feel like that's lacking.
0: That in- is so true. And I've just got very excited because one of the things that we talk about quite a lot is is um, getting young people interested in the food industry and how there's a real lack of, discussion at schools about the opportunities in the food industry and actually you are talking about an area that we haven't we we've never actually touched on that have we amy because Mm -hmm. it's because we're old (laughs) justin you can be uh, the inspiration for the kids that are loving tech at school we need that's what we need in the food industry as well don't we for that that next generation because you you're right it is definitely lacking
1: yeah, understanding those links between it, and I think you're, you're spot on. Like te- we're so behind in technology, just yeah. across the board in in food. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I find it quite intimidating because I'm not I'm not techie at all. And well, so it's exactly it's, what
1: Justin was talking about, yeah. wasn't it? Like because you're techie, that would that your mistake may well be you concentrate on the tech too much. Whereas because we're not techie, we concentrate yeah. on the it's, food too and,
0: much, and it terrifies us, <laughs> and we don't really know what to do <laughs>
2: about it. Well I think that's important to have and it goes back to that sort of knowing when to hire but it also relates to knowing when to consult knowing when to bring people in i'm working with yourself now because for me i i know my limits and i have to confess which i probably shouldn't be telling you this but prior to starting the process (laughs) i genuinely had that thought of ah this is really easy how hard can this be i'm just gonna get someone to help me out because i haven't got the time to do it but it's a really easy and then did not realize just how complex this process was. Oh, well, that's um, nice to and hear. Just it. How lost we would have been <laughs> if we had attempted it ourselves. What, what you're doing is amazing. And I'm, I'm sort of constantly singing your praises to people who I think, but it's a good partnership when we're sort of working yeah. together because I can focus on the side that I know and you can focus on the side that you know. But I feel like that's lacking with a lot of small food companies where they've started because they're passionate about the food and they know everything there is to know about the food. And often they'll spend their days yeah. just making sales calls, for example, and never think about the marketing, the technology, and how they can differentiate themselves from their competitors.
0: Yeah. And I think that was me like seven years ago with my business. And I I, I did think about it all the time, but I didn't know what to do. And I think that's what I feel quite excited about this, this conversation we're having, because I think there's lots of people. I mean, I speak to lots of people who are in that situation and they, and it is a case of they know they need to do something, but they don't know what that something is. And it's it's really nice to have that conversation around it. And it is that delegating I am totally rubbish at and did try and do everything myself far too long. And I really admire people that can actually think, I don't know how to do that. I'm going to get someone else to do it. And mm. we talk a lot about outsourcing, don't we, I Amy, mean, yeah. like, to, to make our lives easier. And it's exactly that in business.
1: And is that something you've always done, Justin, like because you... We're not calling, what are we calling you? We're not calling you a serial entrepreneur, just a long-suffering long entrepreneur. Long-suffering <laughs> Is that something you learn very early on? And, and do you think that's part of the success for you is kind of learning that you need to get experts in and you can't do everything?
2: No, it's something that I feel it's a bit like meditation for most people where you feel like you should just get it. And then if you don't get it, you feel like a total failure but actually the getting it is just being mindful of the fact that you're not doing it when you're not doing it and then bringing yourself back. So I still struggle with it even now, but I feel like I'm a lot better than I was five years ago. And then I was a lot better than I was five years before that. So I think now it's um, always a process of trying to figure out what my responsibilities are and what kind of things do I have on my plate personally, as opposed to things that other members of the, the team have. And, for any of those things am I really the best qualified person to do that do we have the budget to delegate outsource that and just being sort of mindful of it as an ongoing process but knowing that you'll never just be that person that just gets it and you always do it it's probably going to be a struggle but it's a worthwhile struggle because it will help you definitely.
1: I love that link to the the whole mindfulness practice I'm, I'm into mindfulness but yeah so that recognizing that you are that your default is to do everything and and knowing that you just have to constantly keep yourself in check absolutely basically. but yeah. also
2: not feeling like a failure on the times when you're like right I'm right back to do you look at your task <laughs> and you've got 90 things on there and you're like wh- wh- why am I choosing the floor covering for this place like someone can- <laughs> <laughs> not
1: it's like, so you funny know, you say uh, it because I uh, I sent Lucy a a what's that picture last night where I'd done a urgent, important matrix of everything that I'd got going on because I'd realized I'd got to where you exactly what you're talking about. I'm doing too many things. What can we delegate? What can we delegate? kind of thing. So yeah, it's good to hear that even successful entrepreneurs have the same battle with themselves.
0: yeah, we're all we're all winging it, remember.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and now we owe you a big thank you as well because you have very kindly donated one of your well boxes into our very first competition no
2: problem at all
0: I was yeah. waiting for Amy then to take over and tell us about the
2: <laughs> say more about the competition
1: <laughs> so yeah so we're gonna have a competition and this is really about getting our reach out further because you know we're I don't know how many months we're in there, six months into the podcast and we've had a phenomenal response and I know we've got some really loyal listeners, but we want to get our voices out further to more people in the food industry. So yeah, so Justin has donated that box. We're going to have some other prizes as well. And we're going to, we'll announce all of that on our social media. We'll talk about it a bit more at the end of the episode as well, but just as a way of us getting our voice out there a little bit further. So thank you, Justin, for sharing that. So what goes in the well boxes? Like what, what sorts of things are in there? You talked about it kind of, but just tell... Listeners that haven't heard of it, they'll all be Googling it now anyway,
2: but just tell us a bit more about what goes into them. We have a little trap door that leads you down to a cave, and we have these elves with three eyes, <laughs> and large hands now. Um, so I'd like to say magic and mystery, but actually, it's just a ton of really high quality products. So, our thesis is to go for we have our boxes split between kind of four different categories. So, we have food and drink, specific drink only, we have healthy snacks, and we have health and wellness. And for each one of those product categories, we try and include things that people wouldn't typically buy themselves i don't think anyone really wants to spend four pounds on popcorn for themselves it's like a really indulgent thing but we'll include that in there and you know we, we have kind of huge buying agreements direct with a lot of manufacturers so we're able to include those things in the box at a price that makes sense for the person purchasing it but it gives you um, just a lot of high quality products um, things like food products but also health, beauty, well-being products as well in that box. And it just gives you a chance to try out some new brands. We have a policy of trying to support uh, British, or not just startups, but independent British companies as much as we can. So it also gives you a chance to sort of see what's out there and see things that maybe aren't in the big multiples or supermarkets yet, but are doing something great all the same
1: so great for our listeners that work in because we've got listeners that live in um live work They and probably live there too live there. Work, work, work in retailers and stuff like that but almost like actually a way for them to to be exposed to um brands that they don't know about that they don't hear about you know we've got buyers and and that sort of thing that listen so they, there will be people that want to win that box but also we want to have a look at, at what you do
2: we know a lot of the uh founders that are behind the brands of the products that we stock and we we sort of I think the the kind of people that listen to your podcast, you know, they're, they're, they're people that have this sort of entrepreneurial drive, but also have a passion for the product that they create. And we love that. We love people that just obsess over the product. And you know that when that product has been delivered, like the amount of care and love that has gone into crafting that, it's amazing. We're, we're grateful to get to, to work around that and to work around people like that every day. Oh,
1: amazing. And I love how it's, you know, it is about, treating staff and and about the wellness element of it, because that's a big part of what me and Lucy are about. So yeah, that's amazing. So thinking about that, a lot of what we talk about is about looking after yourself, about resilience, that sort of thing. Talk to us about how you kind of look after your own resilience and
2: wellbeing. I think I should start by being transparent and saying I'm probably not the best person to advise. I probably am better now. In my 20s, I I've worked a lot. I think I probably worked far too much. I did burn out at one point. I think every entrepreneur you speak to probably has a similar story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I think having kids saved me in that regard because having children meant that for me, there is a time when I have to switch off. Mm -hmm. Um, so when I'm with them I try and be fully present and everything will stop at that point I no longer work weekends and I haven't worked weekends for years and years unless there's an an emergency or something happens but having that kind of Monday to Friday outside of when I'm doing school pickups and sort of bed and bath time stuff Monday to Friday I'll sort of go really hard and then weekends I'll stop completely just gives me that forced balance whether I like it or not. And I think part of the problem is you always justify to yourself that actually, if you just spend a few extra hours getting ahead on X, it will make you work easier next week. But what you don't realize it's never ending. If you're good at what you do, there are always things that you could be doing because really you shouldn't be working on reactive stuff. You should be working on proactive stuff. And there is no business that can't benefit from being improved in some way. There's always a new system or a new process or some new campaign you could try. So you're never actually going to get to a point where, you're thinking, right, I've done absolutely everything I need to do. And I'm just going to wait for some more stuff to come in because then you're doing it wrong. So yeah. I think it's getting rid of this fallacy that, you know, a few extra hours will make a huge difference. It probably won't. If you have a deadline where you need to get something, for example, a proposal to a client, then, you know, that deadline is real. But those are rarely the situations where we find ourselves working far too much. So I think yeah. just having that cut off and not violating that, having someone hold you accountable to it if you can. Um, is important and just knowing that if you stop here and pick it up on Monday probably nothing's going to change nothing's going to happen and if it does it's nothing that you couldn't deal with anyway Mm,
1: that's that's amazing advice yeah that to-do list is never you know it's never ever going to end is it so we kind of we kind of tell ourselves oh just if I just do this just do that but yeah
0: and actually uh, this week I've had a, a real life situation of actually switching off completely And coming back is so beneficial because you actually get more done if you give yourself that break. Because it was my birthday on Monday and I took myself off for a spa day and I stayed overnight on my own. And I've woke up on Tuesday morning, like raring to go and so much like brighter in my mind. And I was like, I'm so much more productive now because I've allowed myself to actually switch off. And you said about somebody
1: keeping you accountable. I assume for you, that's your kids, is it? That are keeping you accountable.
2: (laughs) My kids, my partner, I think between them, it definitely keeps me accountable. And it reminds me that there's there's more to life than work. Yeah,
0: that's so important.
2: People who, people who often, I think this is an entrepreneur thing, but when you're on a holiday or you're going on a business trip, when you're on the airplane and you're taking off, people often say they have so much kind of creativity at that point. And... I've only thought about the reason why that could be. And it's one of the few times in your life where you're forced to sit there, do nothing, but also turn your phone off. Yeah, <laughs> I think That's an important thing. A lot of people, they'll take themselves away for maybe a weekend, but their phone's still on and their mm-hmm. phone's still going. Um, something I've practiced recently is if I go to the park with the, the children, I'll turn my phone off and leave my phone in the car, um, or I'll leave it on and put it on silent and leave it in the car. And that just helps you stay present whether you like it or not but I think having not just that physical stop where you're not doing work but also having that kind of mental separation yeah. from the things that you think matter but actually don't is important and just being able to detach yourself from technology is is a good thing to do
0: yeah I definitely need to be better at that I'm <laughs> terrible but my kid my my, my daughter actually says your phone down. <laughs> your That's phone bad down, isn't mommy. it? Yeah. That's bad, isn't it? But it's
1: great oh, to hear from like a tech geek actually yeah. saying, "Put the tech away." You yeah. know, just and and that 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 being fully present for your kids, but it's also for you, isn't it? By mm. being fully present, you're giving yourself a rest from it all. Yeah, it's so important. And what about so resilience from a the perspective of um you've talked about you've had lots and lots of failures along the way how do you pick yourself up from those failures
2: I wish I knew the answer I think you tend to I think allowing yourself time to dwell is important a lot of people try and suppress it and either pretend that didn't happen or chastise themselves for feeling negative about it but that for me really isn't the answer it's I'll give myself a, a set time I'll give myself a day to dwell on it and to feel sorry for myself and just to watch Netflix endlessly and do nothing, but then in the morning, it's a new day and moving forward. I think some people say they don't see failure as failure. They see it as learning. I'd like to believe I could see it that way as well. And as much as I tell myself that it's hard to practice what you preach when the little voice in your head is telling yourself, oh my gosh, you are such an idiot. Um, <laughs> we've, we've made like a lot of really silly failures as well as genuine ones. But I think recovering from it really quickly is what ultimately saves us and I think having that knowledge that we've been saved in the past by just trying something different or getting up and getting out there again is really what keeps us moving forward We know that there's always a light at the end of the tunnel regardless of how crappy it looks at that moment in time
1: yeah so it is about picking yourself and dusting yourself off but what I'm hearing is actually before that just allow yourself like what you're describing sounded like a wallow day like just allow yourself a wallow day where you feel mm. like it's not morning. This morning time
0: isn't it yeah. morning the, the, the loss of the idea and the, yeah. the but and actually yeah. within that
1: you're kind of processing it aren't it you like processing mm. the emotion of it and and then it's easier to let it go rather than just just Pretending it's fine because that's when you burn out. When you're like, oh no, everything's fine. I'm just going to put my mask on and I'm (laughs) fine. It's fine. You know, when someone says it's fine, it's not fine. So, yeah. With the
2: context of a business, I think it's really important not to see sort of launches or products as a binary event. And I think that's where I see it going wrong, where people see it as quite an objective or quite a sort of black and white thing. So, we're going to launch this product. And it's either going to sell in the millions, I'm going to have Tesco, Waitrose, and Asda all at my door tomorrow, or it's not going to work. And that is never, ever the case. What usually happens in our experience is you do something and it does kind of work, but just nowhere near to the extent you thought it would work. So that marketing campaign you rolled out, you thought you were going to get 100 leads and actually you got like seven. Or you, know, you, you put the products on the shelves in X store that gave it the, the, the sort of grand talk up. And they only sold like one case when you thought they'd sell a hundred. So it's never really complete failure. And I think a lot of people then see that as a, it's a binary. It's like, well, it didn't succeed. So it failed. And actually it's a case of you should have just had your expectations set differently. It's not that you succeeded or failed. It's just your expectations were wrong to begin with. So I think the first thing is going back and thinking, why were your expectations wrong? Why did you believe this um, slick suited uh, retail exec that told you they'd sell millions in the first week or Why did you believe that based on your hundred pound Facebook campaign, you'd absolutely sell out and then try and learn from that. But more importantly, it's kind of, well, what has this taught me and what do I need to iterate on? Or what do I need to develop just to get it even two or 3% better? Because maybe you did seven sales this week, but how do I do eight or 10 the next week and then 12 the week after? So I think really success is just having that compounding change in the right direction, as opposed to whatever final, big event you've kind of set for yourself in your head when you first started
1: yeah it's always seeing it as a kind of work in progress and a as long as you're moving in the right direction as opposed to kind of win or lose
2: absolutely
0: yeah enjoy Uh, the plot twists
2: (laughs) there'll be many (laughs) like the usual suspects some days in here
0: (laughs) so
1: what's next for you Justin what's next for you and your business have you got a plan or is there never is it kind of evolving plan
2: absolutely so with Wellbox, we have i think for the first time quite a defined plan we're obviously in a an environment or a market where things change really quickly um, at the moment a mm-hmm. lot of this is down to the pandemic and whether people are working from home not working from home but we do have a sort of long-term plan that correlates with just the change in sort of environment in terms of there's a lot more hybrid working There's a lot more working from home and there's a lot more working remotely where companies are now taking on staff regardless of their location, which plays well into what we do. Um, We're not just about rewarding staff, but we also do a lot on the sales and sort of customer acquisition and customer success side. Um, So we're, we're looking at developing the software of what we do a lot more just to facilitate sending gifts for all these different departments that do want to send gifts within a business. Um, we're looking to raise and keep growing the company at a, a much quicker rate than we currently are.
1: Exciting times. It's um, And a real kind of pandemic success story, which is great to hear. Because, yeah, when you're thinking about back in March 2020 when you're there with a, you know, contract catering business thinking, what the hell am I going to do? And 18 months later, you're here. It's amazing.
2: Thank you.
0: And is the contract catering side, um, is that picking up or are you focusing fully on the Wellbox side?
2: So interestingly, I mean, this is, we're in September, approaching the end of September now, this is the first month since March, 2020, where we've seen what we could describe as explosive growth. So we're still far off where we were originally, but we're now sort of really accelerating um, it, we had kind of little peaks and troughs, mostly in line with people returning to work and not returning yeah. to work. But I think this has been the first month where people have genuinely started to return to work, um, mm-hmm. in decent numbers and caring is now picking up rapidly, which presents another problem for us. Cause now we're having to hire for both companies in a market where hiring hospitality staff yeah. is it's really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It. Yeah.
0: But that's really heartening, and it's really heartening for that side of the industry as well, because it's been pretty dire.
2: Absolutely. And I think the people who did B2B were the people that kind of fell through the gaps in terms of subsidies and grants. Um, Mm -hmm. We were considered, despite being a hospitality company and quite literally having hospitality in our uh, sort of name, we were considered not hospitality enough to qualify for the hospitality grants.
0: All
1: right, okay. um,
2: Ups and retail you know were but um we were the you know the company that couldn't get on delivery and and figure it out or couldn't find another way without our corporate clients being in the office Mm -hmm. i think there are quite a few other companies that cater to corporates that fell for the gaps in the same way so it's promising to see it it finally coming back
0: Yeah, yeah that's great news well, thank you so much for talking to us today. It's been really, really interesting. And even though I'm obviously working with you on a project that I've learned so much more about you and, and what you've done and the journey of the business, so it's really interesting. I think so many people are going to find what you've talked about really inspiring and probably wanting to connect with you and, and learn more about and you know learn from what you've done and you've got some fantastic advice. So thank you very much for sharing it with us.
1: And thank you for sharing your well box with us, which we will be giving away in the competition, which you can hear about by following our social media.
2: Thank you. Thank you for your time. It's been great speaking to you both.
0: Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you've enjoyed it. Take care and catch us next week.
1: And if you'd like to get in touch with us personally, Lucy is available for consultancy advice and is able to offer a free discovery call. Find her on Instagram at outtolaunchmpd or over on LinkedIn.
0: And if you want to reach out to Amy for any coaching or facilitation support, then you can find her at Amy Wilkinson Coaching on Facebook, Instagram or LinkedIn. Thanks again. I'm Lucy. And I'm Amy. See you you next time. time.